Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer. I hope you're doing marvellously well on this fine day. August is a a difficult month for me just because my day job is very busy. But there we are. You don't want to hear about that. It's boring. Uh, So on the podcast today, I have got Chris Horrocks, who is a session bassist and a co-host of the wonderful In The Pocket podcast. If you like bass, play bass or just like bass gear, go listen. Let's. That's the long and short of it. It's a great podcast. But listen after this. Anyway, we discuss what a session musician does in a day, how to excel in band auditions, and which is harder, covers or original music. So here we go. On with the interview. So today on the podcast, I am joined by Chris, who is a session musician, I guess is probably the best way to describe you. Chris, how are you? I'm doing very good, Phil. How are you? Yeah. Yeah, you know, doing well. It's morning. Got my cup of tea, so can't complain. Oh, you're a, you're a, you're a tea man. Ah, I'm a uh, tea's not going to get me through today. So I've got a yeah. uh, I've got a nice cup of uh, an espresso in my hand at the moment. How fancy! I, I I am a coffee drinker, but we don't have any in the house. I realised this morning. So tea it is. Sacrilege. Yeah. I know. What can I do? Oh, what I'm sure you'll make do. Other than have a cup of tea. Well, I'm going to have to. So, my first question for you is from an online random question generator, as always. And my question for you is, what would you do if you could turn invisible? Nothing I could say on this podcast. <laughs> um, oh, if I could turn invisible. Hmm... I think I'd sneak into a lot of places that you would need to pay to get into. And, and I mean that in a safe for work context. So, for example, uh, the cinema. Um, I really like going to the cinema and watching films a lot. I know that's the most like GCSE foreign language. Like, my name's Chris and I like going to the cinema. But I like watching films. Don't really want to pay for them all the time. <laughs> so, uh, probably something like that. Maybe sneak into Legoland. That'd be sick too. I don't know. Probably just low level theft, I'd say, would be the main thing. You know, nothing serious. Just like kind of somewhere to sneak out of like Aldi with your weekly shop. Probably that kind, probably that kind of thing. Or I would find a few select people that I don't like. And I would convince them that they are being haunted by a ghost. I mean, that's... Yeah, okay. I can understand that. But you couldn't really sneak out with shopping because then you were invisible, not the shopping. I did, yeah. I realised as I said that, maybe I can get... um, In the Incredibles films, Violet, the little girl, her super suit turns invisible with her because it's made out of a special material. Maybe I can get like a bag for life that does that. Like a nice tote bag that's, that has John Cena on it and it says, you can't see me, you know, something like that. Oh, I, I, I'm sure someone makes one. I'm sure. I hope so. Sure. I very much hope so. I mean, my, 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 my nerdy musician's answer is surely you would you would go to somewhere like Abbey Road and just wait and see who's recording and then go in and watch their session. But that's... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's... Not a bad idea. I probably should have. I probably should have said that. But it's a lot of waiting. Maybe it'd be better if you it's could a lot sneak of into Abbey Road and kind of like get like find like the diary for the month or the calendar, and then go right. I will return, and then come back as someone like I don't know, someone massive shows up. Like imagine if you showed up on the day, and it's like someone who like you you really don't rate. 
like you know, like, like <laughs> Hanson are in, or uh, the Jonas Brothers. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the Jonas <laughs> Brothers, but I I do not I, cons- say, do not like- I do not consume their music. Is the point I was making? Uh, I I can't remember specifically when Mbop came out, but I remember. Yeah, but I remember hearing. I think I might have been in primary school, so I remember hearing it like a lot. So it's like maybe I don't want to listen to that anymore. That's my guilty pleasure. I love that. Song. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Oh well, there you are. Che- cheesy nineties and early two thousands music is is the one for me. But there we are. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say it. So my my first, I guess, real question for you is: How did you get into uh, music in the first place? Well, it was kind of it was kind of thrust upon me. Funnily enough, uh, so until the age of kind of like eleven or twelve, I had pretty much zero interest in music like i did not listen to music i don't come from a musical family like no one in my family plays a musical instrument or has a history of or even a particularly big fan of music like my my mum is but she kind of likes the stuff that that, uh she listened to when she was kind of like my age so she's a really big prince fan a big like brian ferry fan she likes kiss those kind of things, but she's not like a like a like a muso is how I would describe it. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then um, I got to about twelve or thirteen, and my uncle basically said to me, "You're getting guitar lessons," and bought me a guitar. I think he just, I think it was one of them where older relative decides I'm going to live vicariously through you, and bought me an Epiphone Les Paul, and said, "I've got your guitar lessons." Oh, and uh, happy birthday, we're going to see Metallica. Okay. I, I have never heard of Metallica. I know, I know. So I, I'm 12 at this point, give me a break. Uh, my only experience of music is the music video to What I Go to School For by Busted at this point. That's that's what rock song. for me. What a song. What a tune. Um, I used to be in a Busted tribute band, we'll, but we'll swing around to that. Uh, we'll swing back around to that. So anyway... Um, Get a few guitar lessons. It's going okay, and then we go see Metallica, and literally, like light bulb. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like I see James Hetfield on stage. It's like 2008 at this point. I'm going to say, and from that point, it was like this is the only thing I want to do ever. I'm straight up not doing anything else, and you can't make me. And then that's. I mean, that's a very oversimplified version of it, but that's kind of been it from there at the end of the day. So I would say that's how I got into music, from having a guitar thrust upon me and going watching Metallica at the age of 12, and then from there just kind of going, I am obsessed with this, and that's kind of never left me. It dips, but overall, I'd say it's never really left me. But it was guitar and not bass is where you started. It was guitar, it was guitar and not bass. I... I was pretty much exclusively a guitarist until the age of 23. I'm 28 now. So to, to, to uh, explain that story very quickly, played guitar in bands, etc., etc., and then one day just a friend of mine drops me a message and says, my, my band's got our first gig in a few weeks. We don't have a bass player yet. I, I have a bass, would would you mind if I give you the bass and teach you the songs? Could you do as a solid and just play the set? I'm not asking you to join the band or anything, but we need a bass player. We don't want to turn the gig down. So I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Teaches me the songs, do the gig, have a really good time. Then 
Another friend messages me very quickly after that saying, I need, I need a bass player for something. Like, I watched you play with blah, blah, blah. Would you mind? And I still had the bass. So I was like, yeah, okay. And then a band that happened to seen me at, happened to have seen me at both shows, coincidentally, we don't know, we don't know each other, contacts me and says, we are auditioning for a bass player for our band. We'd really like you to audition for it. So the band I was in was kind of like treading water slash winding down anyway. So I thought, yeah, go on then. And then that's kind of been it. Like if you imagine a seesaw, one side's been guitar, one side's been bass. The phone has been ringing more in the bass department. So that's kind of just like the path I followed. Still play guitar. I've got, there's literally a guitar 50 centimeters to my, to my left right now. And I still play guitar at home. Um, if anyone asks me to play guitar on a gig, I would absolutely do that. And I can still do that. It's just, um, I just, you know, you've, you've got to go where the work is, I guess. And I get a lot more work as a bass player than I do as a guitarist. I get a hell of a lot more repeat work as a bass player than I do as a guitarist. So that's kind of the direction I've just gone in, really. That's fair. It's something I've always noticed in the world, certainly in the world of rock and metal where I reside, is that the the two band members that people seem to eternally be looking for are drummers and bassists. Just that just seems to be, which is very funny because every drum every drummer I know plays in about eight bands. Exactly, exactly. So I guess what I'm saying to anyone listening is, if you want to join a band, <laughs> consider bass or drums, <laughs> especially drums, maybe. Exactly. And I was going to be controversial and go, it's also the hardest instrument, but you know. <sighs> I I love that? that I love annoying guitarists. Mainly, Go on. What makes you say that? <clears throat> well, in the words of Sting, it's not a chord until the bass player plays, which I which I like to remind. Um, the the main reason, and I'm not actually saying it's harder than guitar. What I am saying though is it's not easier than guitar. Is when you mess up playing bass. Providing, of course, you're providing, of course, they can hear you, which is not always the case. Or you're in a big venue with a big PA. If you're in a like when I play a venue with a big PA and there's a good sound engineer, most of the time they really do crank the bass guitar because it just gives so much like energy to to the room. It's such a big sound, all the rumble with the kick drum. So basically, you've got nowhere to hide. When you're a guitarist and you're playing a big venue. I'm not saying you can, but you can mess up a little bit and not everyone in the room is going to go, oh, sure, the guitarists and the people with a good ear and the people who are paying attention will notice, but when you mess up on bass in a big room, you can really, really tell. And a lot of my job involves kind of being the middleman between the drummer and the guitarist or the other instruments. And I think bass, it's easy to do well, it's really hard to do really, really well. And I think it's quite easy to mess it up as well. It, it, it's certainly, I, I think about it a lot more than when I play guitar. When I play guitar, I kind of just did whatever I wanted over the top of the band. Whereas now it's like I find myself, I'm constantly looking, what's the guitarist doing? What's the bass player doing? What's the keyboard player doing? What's on the track? What am I, am I in the way of the vocal? You know, play. am I playing too much? Am I playing too little? You know, have I got an effect on? Do I need an effect on right now? Could I just be clean and it'd be fine? You know, all these kind of things. You seem to be constantly adapting and thinking a bit more compared to my 
past life as a guitarist. But that's just my experience at the end of the day. So I am a bassist too, part of the club. Congratulations. Um, I'm not a very good one, but I'm part of the club. Oh, I'm sure. And, <laughs> so I'm actually uh, in a, what are we now, a couple of weeks' time, I'm depping for a band playing bass. And I'm currently working my way frantically through the set list to try and commit it to memory. And it's one of those things where every time I'm, I'm going through it, I'm there like, do I need to do that nice fancy little fill or is that just going to get in the way? And that's that's the thing I had to ask myself at every single point. Do I do I need to play something simple that kind of gets the point across or a little thing to fill a gap or that kind of thing? Yeah, I agree. Um, I know a lot of bass players and I've... I've um, I re- recently went to uh, some auditions where I watched quite a few bass players play the same song and a big takeaway I got from it is... There's nothing wrong with playing fills. However, don't play one at every opportunity. So I noticed all the bass players that... I would describe it as kind of like... If you're playing a song and every eight bars there's a fill or every before every transition into a new section there's a fill, it's going to be really cool the first few times. But then by the time you get out of maybe the first chorus you've kind of shot yourself in the foot now because everything you do is no longer impressive because you've already, you've wowed me three times and you can't go anywhere. It's like if a song starts with a shredding guitar solo. Okay, Mr. Guitar Player, what are you going to do now for the next three minutes? You've just played your ace card, you know. You've peaked, you've, you've you've hit me with your biggest swing and now you've got nothing else. So... The bass players at this audition that really got my attention was, I remember, so everyone was playing the song Moves Like Jagger by Maroon 5, which is just a, you know, every wedding I play that without fail, pretty much. Um, And I do a lot of weddings. And basically, it's B and E all the way through, essentially. The, the, The main bass player that caught my attention sat on the chords all the way through. He might have played two extra notes going into the first chorus and then he shut up and then in the last chorus he played like a big full one bar fill in the middle of the chorus that transitioned into the second chord and everyone in the room including all the band went oh that was sick like everyone because he'd been in the background for two minutes and just for that one bit he stepped forward grabbed everyone's attention and then disappeared into like the shadows again. And I always think, I'm not saying be boring, but don't overplay. Like really really do serve the song as, as cliche as that sounds. Think of yourself as best supporting actor. That's how I always describe it to people. And then when you need to come forward at the right time, don't be afraid to do that, but just pick the right moment. Do it confidently make sure you land back on the one at the end of the fill. Because if you don't, there was literally no point you doing the fill to begin with. And then you, you're you good to go. Sound sage advice. There you are. If you're in a rehearsal situation, take note, especially if you're a bassist. Um, so what inspired you to become a session musician? Because it's not something that everyone immediately thinks to do. Certainly a musician, they think, I'll join a band. So you've gone a slightly different route. So what inspired that kind of thing? I kind of didn't have a choice, really. Um, I kind of, when I went with music full-time about 16 months ago, maybe 18 months ago, I sort of, well, full-time, as in my full-time my full source of income, I thought, 
well, I'm not earning enough money playing in like just one band, for example. So I need to diversify. It's a good learning opportunity to play for several people. And, you know, it, it's it's great playing in one band. Don't get me wrong. At the time, I believe. Yeah, I was bandless at the time. I didn't have my own original. Oh, did I? It's a long time ago. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm trying to think if I if I actually like I was in a band properly. Um, I'm going to say no for some strange reason. I can't quite remember, despite the fact it not being that long ago, which is a bit weird. Um, but yeah, like I wanted to diversify, and like I like playing different songs for different people. If I don't make it in my own band, one of my like big career aspirations is to kind of like play for like a big artist, you know, like a, like a big pop artist or a big rock artist. Uh, and also, being in a band is hard. Being a musician is hard, and not only is the music hard, but dealing with dealing with musicians is maybe the worst part of being a musician. I would say. So um, it's just about finding the right people, really, which is why I chose to go into a line of work where you meet a lot of people and you are quite diverse. So yeah, I'd say that's 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 probably why I decided to go down the session route at the end of the and day. So at the moment you're in are you in three bands at the moment? I'm trying to think. Oh, I'm in so much more okay. than three bands. Three that I know um, about. Exactly. So at the moment I would say so in terms of original acts, I've you know, I play for my own band, which is Dala. Uh, I then play for an artist called Kim Jennett, which is kind of like a classic rock style vocalist. Uh, and then apart from that, I uh, play for, I would say somewhere around 10 different corporate bands. So, but for all of those, I'm kind of like the emergency bass player. So all of those bands have their own bass player, but because they're so busy, not everyone can play every gig. So essentially, they call me and I come in and play their set. I'm kind of like the well, I'm the emergency bass player, and I do that for about ten different corporate acts. I would say, so that's kind of what primarily keeps me busy. And then along, and then outside of that, obviously, I've got my own podcast. But you know, that's not me playing bass. So it's one of those bands um, that that you are an emergency bassist for. One of the ones that you audition for, because on certainly as of time of recording, the latest episode of the podcast, you're talking about like um, not rehearsing, auditioning for a for a big wedding band. So is that one of those ones that you're kind of the emergency basis for? Uh, yeah, uh, basically, I forgot is the short answer there. Um, yeah, so the band that I mentioned the audition process for in the last episode of. Uh, of in the pocket was a, a corporate band called the MIB band, which are kind of like a high end covers wedding corporate gig kind of band. And uh, they were hosting auditions for a bass player. And essentially I got the, I got the call as like the main guy. So I guess technically I am a member of that band, but I, I kind of put that in my sort of like mental folder of freelance work as opposed to being a, a, a full-time member which I think is probably an error on my end. But yeah, so that band is going to offer me 100% of the bookings. And then it's kind of down to me if I if I can make those work. But the answer is, yeah, I probably can make them all work. But uh, I guess technically then, yeah, I do play for three different bands, Dala, Kim, Janet, and uh, then the MIB band, technically, yeah. Okay, good. I, th I thought I wasn't. I thought I wasn't making it up. <laughs> but there we go. So, do do you find it's easier to play 
originals with a band or do you think it's easier or should I say which one's more difficult to play originals in a band or to play covers essentially with a band? I think covers is harder personally because there's a when when it's originals there's a yes there are bass parts to learn and stuff like that but there tends to be the body of work is a lot smaller so like Darla for example has a relatively small catalogue of tracks because we're a a small act at the end of the day Kim Jennett it's a one hour set that's all the music there is whereas covers there can be you know hundreds if not thousands of tracks that could you could be asked to learn at any given time so once you've learned the original set you've learned the original set whereas when you dive into covers sometimes there are tracks with like very iconic bass parts that you you absolutely need to know and you need to play them correctly with the right sound and stuff like that otherwise you know you could potentially ruin it like imagine playing like the chain by Fleetwood Mac and you don't know the big riff at the end you know that kind of thing it, it's that kind of stakes there's no there's no choice there you just need to play it the right way <laughs> no you need to you need to know it and you need to know how to play it right and that's it this might be a difficult question to answer. What's the hardest song, <laughs> the hardest cover song that you that you know or you have to play? Um, good question. There definitely is one. Uh, I'm just trying to remember what it is. There are there, there is a few that really like, really like did my nut in for quite a while. Um, September by Earth, Wind and Fire was quite annoying for a while. It took me a bit of a, it took me a bit of a while to get my like hands used to playing that. Um, what else is there? Um, I would say. Learning it at first, I, I Want You Back by Jackson 5. That's just quite busy. It's quite an iconic bass line. I'm just going to, you know what, I'm just going to pull up one of my like, like notes apps and see if I can remember if there's anything that's popped up that particularly like did my head in. Um, let's have a look. Uh, there's nothing There's nothing like particular jumping out. I'm just having a, there might be, actually, I did a... Uh, Oh, hang on, I did a cabaret thing a while ago for someone and um, <laughs> they had all this kind of like uh, like medleys of like show tunes and stuff like that. So I would say a lot of things like musical theatre is quite hard. Um, learning like anything Motown and when they want you to learn the actual bass line, that is really hard. Like bass players... If you get a gig last minute and there's a few more town tunes in, just because it sounds easy on guitar or piano or drums, seriously, you need to look at that because it's going to be really hard. Things like, you know, Don't Leave Me This Way or anything James Jameson played on. Like, there's a re right. James Jameson kind of did us all dirty because he knew he, knew he was never going to play any of these songs live. So as a result, I think he absolutely ripped it in the studio, like made it all really, really hard, and then kind of just went, yep, there you go. <laughs> Have fun with that. I mean, to be fair, he's quite a good bassist, on the whole. <laughs> I, I would also agree. I would agree with you there. There you are. That's the official podcast recommendation. He's quite good. James Jameson is quite good. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Good night. <laughs> so... What does a typical day look like for you? Because I think a lot of people, certainly if they've got a full-time job at the moment, just can't quite imagine what you do. I mean, that's fair enough. Um, it's not sitting around and watching TV. I wish, I, believe me, 
I really wish it was. Um, it really depends what I've got on. So, for example, this last month, I've been quite lucky where nearly all of the work I've had to do has been um, what I'll, I'll refer to as repeat business. So, people that I've already played for several times. So, I've not had to do any song learning. So, for example, I'm playing a wedding at time of recording tomorrow. Um, and basically, I'm doing pretty much nothing important all day. I'll get up. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm watching season two of The Bear at the moment on Disney Plus. So I'm going to watch some of that. Uh, I'm going to go to the gym. Um, I might have to finish off doing a bit of podcast editing, providing I haven't done it all today. And then that'll be quite a that'll be quite a chill day for me. But an actual work day where I've got a lot to do. Let's say I've got a lot of songs to learn. Um, I'll try and get sat at my desk by not not nine o'clock, but say by ten o'clock. I would say. And then I'll start working. I'll get about two hours of work in as 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 a um, two hours of work as disciplined as I as possibly as I possibly can. Then I'll go to the gym. I'll get back from the gym. I'll have something to eat, and then I'll continue on from say two p.m. through till five o'clock ish. And then it really just depends what I've got on in the evening. If I have to sort of record a podcast or edit a podcast, that'll be done in the evening. If I've got a gig local to me, you know, 5pm is probably about when I'll be leaving the house for the local gig. If there's something I need to film, like I'm filming like a reel or something or, you know, a cover at home, that's kind of when I'll start thinking about doing that as I'm only really going to film when it gets dark as the... uh, my office that I work in doesn't have any blinds, so essentially I just need to work. I need to wait until it goes dark to actually film it. More difficult in the summer. Oh yeah, at the moment it's a nightmare. I'm, I'm basically getting all my camera equipment up and then waiting till eleven p.m. and going right one take wonder. Let's film this, then go to bed. So that's kind of a typical day. However, if I've got a gig where I'm traveling further away, I might be getting up, getting up as late as I possibly can doing prep for the gig up until maybe lunchtime. And then sometimes I'm leaving the house anywhere between 1 and 3 p.m. to get to where I need to be by about 6 p.m., do the gig, and then drive home. It's, I guess it's it's one of those things that the... Um, how do I put this? The, the reward for doing what you're currently doing is that sometimes you do have those days where you can take it easy. But on the on the opposite side, there are those days where it's probably quite exhausting and you're doing a lot of traveling or learning a lot of music so it's that i guess it's that balance isn't it that you need to make sure that across your time there are days when you're being really busy and there are days when you're having a bit more of a chill out kind of day wish i could start work at 10 a.m but there we are <laughs> such is the way <laughs> oh that that's that's uh I've definitely had my first share of starting work a hell of a lot earlier than 10am, but um, I probably should start a little bit earlier. But, you know, when you're going to bed late, you don't really want to get up early. Yeah, I mean, you know, for all that, I'm not I'm not on the road in the middle of the night getting home. So, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. Oh, true. I mean, when, I, when I've got a gig where I'm getting home at 3, 4am, I am... I am not getting up at 10am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. So, I mean... Given that you do a lot of your, um, how do I put this? I imagine a lot of your paid work is from gigs in the evening. How do you kind of manage your work-life balance? Given that, you know, most people obviously use their evenings for socialising, for catching up on that kind of thing. How do you how do you manage that kind of 
aspects of your life? Oh, this is really easy. Um, I don't. That's actually something I'm trying to work on at the moment. Because uh, at the moment, it's kind of a, I've got a day worth of things to do. And then I've got to go do a gig and stay up really late. So it's kind of like doing like something silly, like an 18 hour day nonstop and getting home very late. So I am working on that at the moment, but sometimes it's kind of, it just feels like that's what needs to be done. Like the main thing I would say is I'm trying to work on sort of my efficiency and productivity when I am working. So if I'm going to work, it's like, let's do like a hard 30 minutes instead of, you know, an hour and a half of half working, half procrastinating, you know, having a scroll through your phone every 10 minutes. I'm trying to work on stuff like that, you know, like kind of like be focused, get a bit, get a chunk, a solid chunk of what you're working on done now. And then we'll take a bit of a break instead of kind of half working and leisurely strolling through the day. Um, and also being efficient in my workspace. Like, um, you know, I've got a, what I would refer to as like a bit of a mini home studio in, in, in where I, in my house at the moment. So it's like, I've got my laptop, it's permanently plugged into the audio interface. The speakers are all set up. My amp is next to me, all plugged in, ready to go. All I've got to do to begin work is pick up my bass and turn the amp on and I'm ready to go. There's no packing up and packing down. I'm saving that sort of like 10, 15 minutes every, uh, every time unplugging everything and putting it all back together. And I am murder for losing motivation. Like I can start setting stuff up and go, I can't really be bothered now. So, um, I'm actively working on doing on solving that at the moment. So I guess it's just a case of being focused when it's required and also being like as efficient as you possibly can, really. That rings very true with me, sitting down and going, right, I need to do this, this and this, and then immediately going to YouTube. <laughs> and then before I know it, an hour's gone and going, oh, I need to set up this and this. I can't really be bothered. And yeah, you're right. Having it all ready to go is brilliant. It means you don't give your brain the time to the time to get distracted really <laughs> so if you had a friend who was thinking of becoming a session musician what advice would you give them like where where do you where do you start really um i would say realistically now if you wanted to start being a session musician in the original music scene i i can't help too much on that uh because a lot of my original music stuff has come through sort of like word of mouth really um but to build up that word of mouth i would say there's nothing wrong with getting stuck into kind of like the covers scene or the function work it's you know it keeps you playing it keeps your hands busy you learn a wide range of material you meet a lot of people it's definitely a good place to start so i would suggest maybe diving into things like you know, depth pages on Facebook, you know, you know, bass players wanted, you know, those kind of things. That's where I started out, sort of scouring those pages for people looking for bass players, looking for musicians, putting your name forward, you know, learning, finding the material that those people are looking for and start learning that. Um, I would also recommend you kind of like start thinking about social media now i'm not saying you need to go all in on something like tiktok and try and get ten thousand followers and it, it's certainly nothing like that but i would recommend you start having video evidence of you playing your instrument to a good standard that way when people say to you 
well, yeah, okay, sure, are you any good? You can just say, yeah, here's my Instagram. And people can just look at it. This is nothing worse than someone going, yeah, you any good? And you going, oh, no, I need to film something. And then you're scrambling, you, you, you're you trying to set up a camera. You're thinking, oh, God, what, what are they going to want to hear? I'm going to have to learn something. It's That's too much effort in for something that isn't a guaranteed yes. So I would say... You know, filming a few covers at home isn't a bad idea. It doesn't need to be the full song. It can literally be, you know, here's the chorus of I'm Still Standing by Elton John. You know, filmed to a... It can, and you can film it on your phone. That's perfectly fine. Just have the lighting okay. Watch a couple of basic video editing tutorials. Make sure the, the audio is actually recorded. Don't just use the camera audio. You know, just those kind of things. Just little steps like that. And then start putting your name out there. That's what I did. And that's kind of, it's just snowballed from there. Like you're not going to, you're not going to start and then overnight have like nine weeks of, I've got free gigs a week every week for the next two months. It's not going to happen. I Believe me, I wish it did, but it, it doesn't. Like I've been, I've been doing this for about 18 months now and I've only just had my first few months of, super consistent busy work and even then I'm I'm now going back into a quiet period you know and so I, even I don't have that stability which is something I'm actively working on at the moment but um yeah start small don't have unrealistic expectations of where you want to be start putting your name out there on debt pages or reaching out to people who are looking for those musicians on places like Facebook is a great example and um start being a bit conscious of your social media presence Boom. Boom. I mean, the, the the next kind of obvious question that comes to mind is if you're in that situation and you put your name forward and you have a bit of a conversation or you maybe even go to a rehearsal, whatever it may be, how do you cope with rejection where someone says, actually, no thanks? I think it's important to not take it personally. I think it can be really easy to view rejection as a, you know, a, oh, no, this person doesn't like me. That's why they've. Uh, that's why they chose to reject me. And and you know sometimes you're going to go to somewhere and you're not going to like the people you work with. That's fine. You know you can't like everyone and not everyone's going to like you. And that's just I guess that's just part of being an adult at the end of the day. But also, um, I would say understand that not always rejection is a uh, is a personal thing. It could literally just be, you know, you're just not the kind of player that we're looking for. You know, we're looking for someone younger. We're looking for someone older. It might be quite a vain project where they're looking for someone who has a very specific look. Like I've had that before. Um, I've had that before where I've got the gig and then they've told me, oh, yeah, we actually, we had a couple of other people audition for this, but they were a bit too old or they kind of gave off their words, not mine, pub band energy. And I was like, okay, but um, yeah, I think it's, I think you really got to try and not take it personally. It's not always you. It could, it can, or it could be something where it's like you've auditioned for something and then the person in charge has just gone, you know what, I'm just going to give it to my mates because I want, if I want to give someone money, it's them at the end of the day. And like, life's not fair. I wish it was, I really do, but it's just not. And sometimes you've just got to accept. Oh well, you know you can't, you can't win every time. We just gotta, you just gotta keep going. You've gotta, 
you can't let it get to you, you can't let it weigh you down, you just got to go, right, we need to move that to one side and just keep moving forward. Unless, of course, it is all your fault. If you've done something and that's why you've not got it, that you've not learnt the song, you were rude, you were late, you weren't professional, all these kind of things, then you've got to sit there and you've got to own that. You really do have to own that. You can't go, oh, it wasn't that, it was this. It's like, that's not going to work. And the only person who's going to lose at the end of the day with that kind of attitude is you yourself. So if you've done something that's the reason why you were unsuccessful in some in, in some sort of endeavour, you need to own that, take it as a learnable moment and ensure that you don't do it again. Mm. This is all, that's all very sage advice. I like it. And to be honest, that applies for like a lot of things in life, de- dealing with rejection, because everyone, no matter what you're doing, is going to have some kind of rejection at some point in your life. So that's all very good advice, to be honest. So when it comes to your, your gear... Um, I'm trying not to talk about gear too much because I think too many people focus on gear. So <laughs> with the with the variety of gigs that you do and the kind of different tones and styles that you need to go for, do you prefer to have lots of different um, tools, I'm going to call them, available to cover everything or a few kind of select bits and pieces that you know inside out and you can kind of coax those tones out of? Uh, I would prefer to have... Um, the bare minimum amount of equipment to cover as much as I possibly can. So contrary to popular belief, I don't own a lot of bases. A lot of people seem to think I do, and I definitely don't. I, I own five bases. I only really gig with two of them at the moment. Uh, it would be free, but one of them's a little bit poorly, and I need to take it to get fixed, which is actually where I'm going later today. But... Um, I would rather personally have okay for example I've got I've got a Music Man Ray 34 which is kind of like not an expensive Music Man but it's it's kind of like the middle of the pack it's the best cheap one I would say um and I use that for pretty much everything that's kind of like funky pop anything modern that covers all of those grounds then on the opposite side, I have a P bass that has flat wound strings and everything that's kind of like vintagey, I use that. That covers, I would say, 95% of the work I do. The only exception is when I need to use a five string. I've, I, I mean, you could use any five string. I got very lucky and managed to find a ding wall secondhand for a good price. So I have a so I have a five string ding wall, and that's my five string. There's not really a lot of ground that needs covering that I can't do with with those instruments that I've just mentioned. And then as for like on the floor, I know this sounds like a bit of a pick me thing, but I've got the Quad Cortex by Neural DSP, and I do everything with that. I don't use anything else. Um, I could use other things, like I reckon I could do pretty much all the work I need to do with, say, a tuner, a compressor, and then something like a Sans amp. could probably do everything I need to do with that, or some sort of nice-ish preamp pedal. doesn't have to be a Sans amp. It could be something cheaper, but I could cover all my grounds with that. I would rather have as little moving parts as possible and then cover everything with, with, with that set of equipment, as opposed to, you know... I have a huge pedal board or I have like, you know, different pedal boards for different acts. I've got 
you know, 10, 20 bases. I've got, you know, three or four different base amps, you know, oh, what am I going to use? What about this? What about that? It's like, no, I take the same thing to every gig because I've I've set it up in a way where it can be versatile. It just works at the end of the day. And I guess with that kind of thing, the, the less stuff you're bringing, the less stuff there is that could go wrong, which is always very helpful. Exactly, yeah, the less moving parts. Yeah, yeah. and with something, with something like a Quad Cortex or any other similar modular kind of thing i guess you've got loads of different tones that you can very quickly switch between which would be very helpful i imagine for like wedding gigs where you're playing very different kind of music yeah um and you can do that but actually i I found not not doing that is kind of the better idea so what i've got what i do for all my wedding gigs is i have essentially got one nice simple sound that I then use for nearly everything. And essentially it's actually just like a really nice DI sound. It's a, it's, it's some compression. It's a, it's a, there's a bit of drive that I very rarely use. It goes into like, kind of like a, some, a little bit of EQ and then it, it goes out to the PA. It's, it's nice and simple. Uh, with something like Dala, it's completely different with that. I'm running like a, a multiband style bass distortion, into you know an amp with loads of compression loads of very specific eqs really flexing the capabilities of the unit like i'm doing a lot for that sound but for a lot of the stuff that pays the bills to be honest less is more and i'm kind of adapting what i need to do with kind of like with the music man for example everything vintage i'm rolling the tone off and then i'm still playing with my fingers and then for the modern stuff i'm putting the tone back up to 12 o'clock and I'm either using a pick or I'm hitting a little bit harder. And that's kind of the only variation I do. With the exception of, like, say, some specific effects, like, you know, I've got a chorus on for a little bit in this song, or there's a drive for this bit. But that's very rare. We're talking, like, a couple of eight-bar sections across well over two hours of music. So not a lot, in short. <laughs> not a lot indeed the, w- w- would you like my controversial opinion about music man basses oh please do i don't like them <laughs> oh really how come yeah yeah i had one um i i ended up i ended up buying one because i needed a, a bass that's tuned b-e-a-d because i really don't do five string and i bought it and went you know this is gonna be great i love it i love the sound of it and then the more i played it the more i just went i don't like it and I realise it's the, it's the actual, it's the position of the pickup and the fundamental tone that you get at that position. I just don't like personally, so it's very strange. And it's it's annoying because I love it when other people play it, but it's as soon as I play it, it just doesn't sound right to me, which is one of the weird things of being a musician, I guess. I was going to say, why do you think that is? Do you think like, well, what bass do you like? Like, what what's the what's the opposite to that problem? I so I I grew up. As a massive Iron Maiden fan, so I've got a precision bass with with very very bright strings on them. <laughs> it's very very bright, so that's kind of so. I guess I guess immediately the thing that springs to mind there is your your f- picking hand is in a very different place with a P bass compared to a Music Man. Uh, provide assuming you're resting your you rest your hand on on top of the pickup is what I'm assuming. Uh, um, not really, no, but. I'm, oh, I'm weird okay, like that. Right. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, it, it's not for everyone. At the end of the day, like I've, I've, there is a big difference between like a music man and then like I've, I've got a Squire jazz bass that I do a lot of work with as well, and they are, they feel very different. But um, 
I really, I really like my music, man. The only problem I have is it's it's very heavy. Um, I can't remember what it's made of, but it weighs an absolute ton. And love playing it. After two hours, less so. <laughs> to that point, you're like, mm, I'm, I'm a bit done with this. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of digging into my shoulder a little bit. Yeah, everything hurts. Yeah, thick strap. That's what you need. Or is that not? I do need to get a thicker yeah. strap. I, I really, I don't, I, I, I don't have one. I've got a relatively thin strap, and I'm, I'm considering making the upgrade. I've got a good recommendation, but I can, I can tell you that outside the podcast. So, okay, very well. Moving on a bit. What's what? What are your goals for the next six months to a year or so as a musician? Uh, it's really simple, to be honest. Uh, continue growing social media. Continue growing the clientele of the people I work with, continue the growth of the podcast, and then just more consistency at the end of the day. A lot of my work falls into my diary kind of somewhere between one week and four weeks ahead of time. So, for example, I'm looking for I'm looking at September right now, and uh, this might come as a shock to people, but I'm looking at September at the moment and seeing nothing in there, like zero paid work. But that's how it's been since day one. So I'm kind of getting used to that. But the immediate thing I would like to change is I would like to remove that and start seeing kind of like work put in the diary, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six months ahead of time. So it's locked in. It's all good to go. Um, And I can just sort of like take my foot off the gas a little bit and not be scrambling for work. That's a good goal. It's a good goal. More, more. I was going to say more planning ahead, but that's not really something that's necessarily in your in your gift to control. But yeah, no, I take your point. Moving over to my penultimate question. What is your best piece of advice for a musician nowadays? It's a deliberately vague and open question. I would suggest that you you are conscious of social media and you actually use it. Um, and I mean use it in a way that is beneficial to your business and your work so in fact I'm, I'm actually going to give two pieces of advice but i'll start with this one the first one is the social media one so i i treat my instagram as two things um primarily it's my business card so i do my very best to be filming something at nearly every gig i do i don't film every gig but i bought a gopro it wasn't cheap it cost me about 400 pounds and at the time, I didn't really have £400 when I bought it. But it's one of the best investments I've ever personally made into my own work because it means no matter what, I filmed the full set of the gig I've just done. All I need to do is find 20 seconds of that that was really good and post that on my social media platforms with very minimal editing. And I mean, sometimes zero editing. So I do that. And that's primarily there to, as like a business card again to go, look, this is the work I'm doing. Essentially, I am busy. That means I must be good. Please hire me. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's advice number one, I would say. Start thinking about social media. You don't need to do loads. If you don't want to buy a GoPro, buy yourself, buy yourself a little tripod stand that you can put your phone on and just film film yourself when you go on stage Use the front camera if you really want to. It doesn't matter. Just have some content to post on social media. And if you if you don't want to dive into social media hardcore like some people do, like way more than me, that really is the bare minimum and it's not really a problem. So I would do that. And also do what I do, which is share memes. Love sharing memes. 
the other bit of advice, uh, and I nicked this off a session bass player called Guy Pratt. Um, I don't know if you know who Guy Pratt is, but for those of you who don't, Guy Pratt is a lovely a legend. Uh, Guy Pratt's in my like top five, absolutely uh, top five bass players for me. He's played with everyone from like Madonna to David Gilmore, Brian Ferry, Robert Palmer. Sophie Ellis Baxter, pretty much everyone in between. Really, really good session player. And he gave a bit of advice in an interview where he literally said, just be a laugh. And I think that's a really good point because if you're not easy to get along with, you're not going to get the work. It doesn't matter how good a player you are. If you're a pain in the bum, you're not going to get the repeat business and people are not going to book you because there will be someone else who's even half as good as you, but because they're good to get along with and they're easy to work with and they're a laugh, they will get your work 10 times out of 10. I guarantee it. I think that's 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 probably doubly true for bands that you're going to be locked up in a van with for a very long time as you travel to various gigs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I've just spent... I've just spent almost three days with a covers band that I play with a lot. You know, we, we had several two hour plus drives. I stayed over at the, at the house for two nights as well between gigs. Basically I went on a mini tour with them really like a mini tour and um, you've got to get along. You've all got, and luckily I get along with them really well. They, they have the same advice. They're very easygoing people. Everything flows nice smoothly. There's no problems. Because at the end of the day, being a musician and playing gigs, it really is hard enough as it is. The last thing you want is to be like, great, I'm stuck with this person who's just being a right a right numpty all day. And I've had it, you know, I've had it where, like, there are people that I no longer work with because it's like, you are unnecessarily hard work. So yeah, be nice, be fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Essentially. So, um, to close out the podcast, um, normally, I, I don't have to phrase this, because normally I do a podcast with a specific band and I say, hey, let's play one of your songs. Which song would you like to play and why? But, given you're a test musician, which band would you like to play and then which song would you like to play from that band and why that song? Well, it's time for some shameless self-promotion. Um, I would like to play a track by my band Dala. And specifically, I would like to play a track called Differ, which is our latest single. Cool. So this is Dala with Differ. Chris, it's been great to chat with you. Likewise. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> <laughs> 